Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Trust you all had a fantastic week. Um, this morning, we're eventually going to make our way to Psalm 27. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 27. But as we make our way there, uh, I want to walk us through um, different passages that talk about the, the name of God that we're going to be studying today. And the name of God that we're going to be studying is the Lord is my light. Okay, so here you have it, just because it looks really cool and it's amazing. So it, you have... Um, the Lord is my light in English, of course. You have Yahweh or E, okay? If you were to take the Hebrew and make it into kind of English, transliterate it is what they call it, that's what it would be. And then you have it in Hebrew. You have it going from this side of your screen to this side of your screen, Yahweh or E. And it simply means the Lord is my light. Now, before we get to Psalm 27, I want to say the scripture talks a lot about God being light. And this light and darkness metaphor is used a ton in the Bible. And we're not going to go through every passage today, but I want to just in our first few minutes here give you a sense of the flavor of how this name of God is used in the Bible. For example, we have this this idea of light that is often used with walking with God or or journeying with God and and living life with God. And so one of these um verses that you probably know is this one. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Here it's talking about how God gives direction and not just like shining the light, but knowing which next step to take, knowing what would bless God, knowing what would honor God in our walk. Because light, again, is used oftentimes to describe how we walk in relationship with God. Um, there's many other examples in the Psalms. We'll come back to Psalm 27, uh, which is one of the main ones. But um, let's look at Isaiah now. So Isaiah is a prophet, and he's prophesying to the people of Israel. And he says this in Isaiah chapter 2. He says, O house of Jacob, also known as Israel, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Here again, we have this idea where light is referred to as, as walking after God. And this is actually coming after a passage where Isaiah is going to write, Let's go to the mountain of Yahweh so that he may teach us and we might walk in his path. So, so walk is a consistent theme when we're talking about light in the Bible. Another verse, Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So when it talks about walking in light or walking in darkness, light is to walk after the ways of God, what blesses God's heart. To walk in darkness is the opposite of that. And here he's saying, woe to those. You know, he's calling a bit of a condemnation upon them because there's people who would say that is good when it's really not good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, because darkness and light are not the same thing. Uh, They're very, very different. There's many other examples in Isaiah that we will come back to at another point in time. Now, these words for light are used 
at times also to describe Jesus. And they describe what it means to walk with Jesus. For example, in John chapter 3. Now, you know John chapter 3 most likely because in John 3, we have that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. A couple verses later, and this is a conversation that Jesus is having with a scribe or Pharisee by the name of um, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come to him at night and he's inquiring about who Jesus is and what he does. And Jesus is basically saying, you need to be born again. And it comes to this in verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Now, John is pulling something that he's already said a couple chapters earlier because he's already called Jesus the light of the world. All right. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds or their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his works should be exposed. Sorry for that typo right there. That was my bad. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be seen clearly that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus is saying, basically, you come to me, you come to the light. You come to follow me. You're going to walk in what is true. And if you come and you follow me and you walk in the light, it's going to be God who carries out these works in you. Okay, another development of the nature of light in the Bible. That's not where it ends. There are several other verses that we could talk to, you know, or talk about. John 8, where Jesus says to them, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. 1 John 1, which we studied a couple years ago. I don't have it on the screen, but this is the message that we have heard to him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him there is absolutely no darkness. But if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. John says in that letter, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We find light all over the Bible, often in contrast to darkness, often talking about how we walk with God and walk with one another. Now, we find light also at the beginning of the Bible and at the end of the Bible. For example, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You jump down to verse 3 and you have, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is using it more in the um, like light, darkness, like it's light in the room, it's dark in the room kind of idea. Not so much in the walking way. But we find light at the beginning. And then we find at the very ending of the scripture, this, in Revelation 21. This is a quick overview, which is why I have it on the screen for you. I did not see a sanctuary in it. This is the Apostle John who's writing again. And he's talking about, let me give you the context. Um, he's talking about at the end of the age, after judgment has happened, after the Messiah Jesus has returned for his people, all these things, all these last things have come. What happens then is the new heavens and the new earth come down out of heaven from God. And God sets up an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom in the physical present. And John is describing that because God is giving him a revelation about these things that are yet to come. And it says, I did not see a sanctuary in this kingdom because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. Some of you probably hate nighttime. I, I, there's some people in my family who absolutely love, like, okay, I'm tired, go to bed. And then there's people in my family who are like, I want to stay up all night long. I don't know how it is in your family, but this is essentially talking about an eternal daytime. An eternal daytime walking in the light of the Lord. The nations will walk in sight. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. John is describing an amazing picture about eternity where people who are followers of Jesus, who've been saved by God's redemptive work on the cross and trusted Jesus alone, they walk in relationship with God. And what relationship looks like is walking in the light of the Lord. Day after day after day after day. And when we contrast that with a lot of the walking that happens in our lives today in the brokenness of the world around us, friends, this is good hope. That's why John saves it for the end. He wants to make sure that we know that there is something that God's people are going to where there's no longer sickness nor crying nor pain because all these former things have passed away because God has been making all things new. This is the ending of the story, at least the part that we know. This is the, God, the picture that God gives to us to help us understand eternity. Now, when we read the end of the Bible, one of the things that can be really enthralling and, and um, anxious for us to look forward to is reigning forever and exploring the goodness of the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. But at the heart of what God is doing is this word, relationship. Relationship. God is setting apart a time in which we have unhindered relationship with him. Where there's no more sickness and crying and pain and the brokenness of the world around us. Where justice is not served. And where forgiveness is not forced. And where conflict is not apparent because God has done a renewed work in our minds and our hearts and even in our bodies. All this brings us to Psalm 27, but I want you to see how light is being used in the Bible for us to talk about the rest of our time together. Psalm 27, if you're not there, please turn there with me. This is an amazing psalm, and it's a psalm that begins with a very famous first phrase. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and they fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though war breaks out against me, still I am confident. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. 
For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above me. Or then my high, head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 27. Now, we don't know much about the specific context of Psalm 27. You've already heard some language about an army and evildoers and foes, and it could be that the psalmist is facing a significant trouble, maybe even a military trouble that is causing them fear. Now, we don't know exactly if that's it. Was it the fear uh, of physical trouble caused by the army? Is it fear of being abandoned from his family or his close friends, which is something he's going to reference a few verses later? We don't know his exact context, but we can instinctively understand his feeling. We, we, we can understand his feeling because the psalmist is facing a situation where his well-being is uncertain. Have you ever been there? I remember one time as a kid, I was in the backseat of the car. My sister was a student driver, and we were going slowly through a rather large intersection. And my father said, hit it. And I felt like my well-being <laughs> was in not a good place. We made it through, obviously. Um, have you ever been in a place where your well-being is uncertain? You're faced with a diagnosis. And you don't know what it's going to be when all those test results come back. You're facing a relationship where you're intimidated by someone. Or you're feeling really uh, vulnerable in a not healthy way with someone or somewhere. You're facing adversity in your life. Really difficult challenges at work or at home. And you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know whom to turn to. You have mental struggles. Your mind races twice as fast as it should. It's hard to find peace. And you're going through all these what-if scenarios in your life, coming up with more what-if scenarios day after day. We can understand the feeling of the psalmist, where his well-being is uncertain. Fear is often a natural default for us. And fear is something that can paralyze us. And it can paralyze us from making wise decisions a lot of times. It can paralyze us from living life and enjoying the day and the moment that God has given us. Fear often causes us to lose focus on what matters. And it distracts us from keeping in the forefront of our minds, instead of all the things that are good around us, but keeping in front of our minds all those things that we have to be preserving our life from. Many times, uh, my family will tell you this, many times I will find myself talking to myself, trying to process life. In fact, if you walk by my office on the street, um, if you see me standing and talking, I'm probably not talking to anyone. I'm probably just talking to myself. One of my things I do is I talk. I, 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 I mutter out loud something I'm trying to process, something I'm trying to think through. And sometimes... I do that to a point where I become distracted from what's most important in my life at that time. Sometimes I'll get weird looks from my family when I do that too. But the psalmist here, he, he's, he's writing and he's talking to himself or herself. We don't know whether it's a, a man or woman who's writing this. And they could go down all these what-if paths, but in this psalm, they do something different. 
decidedly, they decide to proclaim their trust in God and in his faithfulness and in his care. And they decide instead of thinking about all the things about them all the time, they try to instead focus their heart and their mind on what and who, what God has done and who God is. And this kind of comes together with God being our light because the psalmist begins with this great phrase, the Lord is my light and my salvation. All right, we, we, we've, we've talked about this idea of light and he's going to essentially be using this as a, God is going to reveal to me what I need for today. He's going to be talking in these first six verses about trusting in the Lord and focusing on the relationship that they have with God and not just the answers to the problems. He says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Now, for the psalmist to describe God as his light, it means that for him, God is vital in giving him direction, in giving him help, and yes, even giving giving him salvation. In Psalm 56, verse 14, you don't need to turn there, it's described, the psalmist describes walking in the light of God as the purpose of experiencing salvation from God. In other words, for the psalmist, it's to experience this radical saving by God and then to walk in the light of his ways. This comes first, this comes second. Which is why he says, God, you're my light. God, you're my salvation. To whom else am I going to turn? And here's, I think, one of the spiritual principles for us. If we don't focus on God and our relationship with him, we will instead turn to our problems all the time. And we'll allow our eyes to be taken off focus of what God wants us to see and what God wants us to do. I wrote it this way in my notes. When we don't walk actively with God, we will walk in our own power. And walking in our own power, friends, is never very good. <laughs> never very good. He comes down to verse 3. And he says, though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. So he's got all this stuff swirling around him. But in the middle of this circumstance, he says, still I am confident. And the word there for confident, that my text translates as confident, my text translates as confident, is the word for trust. And it's a word that's used with relation to God. So he's basically saying, though war breaks out against me, still I am confident in God. You could put that at the end and it would be a fair representation of what he's saying there. Still, I am confident of God. The psalmist's confidence comes not from his situation, but from the God whom he trusts. And then he says this in verse 4. You might think in the middle of all of the different things and experiences and challenges that we face in this life, we could let our eyes focus on a whole bunch of different things, but notice what the psalmist says. He says in verse 4, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I don't know about you, but one of the hardest things for me to do when I'm faced with challenging times, when I have foes around me and I feel as though an army is deployed against me and all these arrows are coming in, usually it's my, my default in my nature to either flight or to fight. <laughs> for the psalmist, he says, there's one thing I want, one thing that I desire. 
In fact, I've asked this of the Lord. Notice there that the Lord is used in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the covenantal name of God. That's the name by which God comes to relationship with people. He says, this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So you might be thinking, all right, so the psalmist wants to come and he wants to sit before God. Yes, he does. He wants to still himself. He wants to hit pause on all the things coming at him. And even if he can't hit fully pause in the moment, he doesn't want to forget the one thing that matters most, God, his redeemer, his rescuer, the one whom he is confident in, the one whom he trusts. It says here, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And you're like, what does that mean? Um, Beauty here means to determine what is pleasing to God. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is not to say God has great hair or something like that. It is to say, this is what would please God in this instance. It's to have a heart and a mind so focused upon who God is that the natural result is, God, would you help me to walk out what you want me to do? I have all these arrows. I have all these stressors. I have all these challenges in my life, and I could be tempted to turn a whole bunch of different places. But for the psalmist, he says, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And that's a really challenging thing for us sometimes, because when we open ourselves up to God and to hearing from God, Many times, God is going to call us into a greater level of trust and a greater level of obedience. And yes, even sometimes, we'll have to do things that may not be our natural default. Where we might want to run away from our problems, where we might want to let someone have it because they weren't very nice to us on the way into work or something. All these things when we gaze at the beauty of the, God, of the Lord, they become opportunities for us to say, all right, God, here's what I've experienced, but God, how would you help me to respond? That's what it means for the Lord to be our light and to seek him in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, it refers to the understanding the quality of who God is and what God wants from him. The, the word here for seeking him is a verb that's used in a legal sense to secure an already established condition. In other words, it has the idea of to take pleasure in it, to frequent, because you already have a relationship with God. There are certain people in my life I will consult for certain things. For example, if I have a toothache, I'm going to call my dad because he's a dentist, right? I'm going to go straight to the source. And yes, I get the direct line. I don't get the call back usually. I, I get the direct line to say, this hurts. Help me understand why this hurts. Uh, if, if I have another question about fixing a floor or doing something like that, I might call one of my other friends who knows what they're doing. If I have a, um, if I have a home repair question, I'll call my brother because he's really good at that kind of stuff, and he's usually pretty easy to get a hold of. There, there's people in my life that I always consult with, and what God is looking for in a relationship with us is not just a consult. Like, don't just give me what I need to know. But one of the reasons I go to all these people, my dad, my brother, all, all these people, is because of the relationship I have with them. It's not just I need to know the information to stop my toilet from leaking. It's that, hey, by the way, how are you doing? And by the way, this is going on. What should I do? 
For, for God, it's not just information when we go to him that he wants to give us. It's not just direction that he wants to give us. It's that plus, even more importantly, relationship. What it means to walk with God. Notice what the psalmist says a couple of verses later. He says, uh, verse 5, He will conceal me in his shelter on the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high, verse 6. Above my enemies around me, I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now, at this point in time, his problems are not solved. He still has all these fears and all these doubts and all these struggles. But when his desire is for God, the natural next step for him and for us is to proclaim who God is and to declare it. In fact, that's, what, that's what's meant by the words in Proverbs 3, where it says, I can't remember, and I want to get it right. In Proverbs 3, I, I remember hearing one of my former pastors talk about this years ago. It's a verse that you know well. 3, 5, and 6, when it says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. What the picture is there is in the midst of all the stuff that is around you, begin worshiping God. Begin declaring who God is. Because in a world that changes all the time, God doesn't change. In a world where we don't know sometimes what the next right step is, God is unchanging in his word, in his revelation. Begin to focus on God. And that's what the psalmist does. He offers sacrifices. He sings and he makes music. Yes, even if you're not a singer, it's good for you to sing to the Lord. And if your family knows you're not a singer, sing louder and maybe it will help them join the chorus and get you back on pitch. Um, yes, Offer and sing. These words describe the life of a person who's bringing glory to God, who's wanting to meet with God, who's wanting to relate with God amidst the trouble that they face. This is the godly response that accompanies confidence in God. It's in the midst of fear and uncertainty and darkness, praise sets our minds and our hearts on what is true. No joke, sometimes the best things for us to do in our life, in the middle of a situation, we don't know what to do, and our minds are spinning and twirling, set our minds on what is true. Years ago, I, I was, uh, my wife and I were traveling out of town, and I had kind of a panic attack um, moment in my life, and was getting to the stage of hyperventilating and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that helped keep me sane in that season of time was reminding myself of the scripture that I was currently learning. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And kind of going through that whole Matthew 5 thing, setting my heart, my mind on what is true. Other times for me, when things have been swirling and my mind is going in a hundred thousand different directions, I will come in here, I will sit down at this piano with the lights off, and people are probably going, what on earth is happening in here? I'll just start playing. Sometimes I'll start singing. In the midst of what you face today, 
Are there moments in your life that you're facing right now where you need to just hit time out instead of letting this billow enroll? I'm going to pause my life right now and I'm going to give glory and declare who God is. That's needful for each one of us. How do we respond to issues in life? Do, do we dwell in the Lord's presence? Do we gaze upon the Lord? Do we seek the Lord? And are those things a reflex for our life? Is worship, is singing, is reading scripture to the Lord a daily, a normal occurrence in our day? Some of you might have... Um, have an old breakup from the past. And maybe you had a friend who took a CD, and they, this is back in the CD days. I guess they don't do that now. Kids, there are these things called CDs, and it was before Spotify, all right? It's a different way to listen to music. One of the things that would happen when I was a kid is if someone had a poor ending of a relationship, some, one of their friends often would hand them a CD, and it would be one of these breakup CDs. It's like, it'd be all sorts of different things. And think about think about it this way. You can go to things like that, things to distract you from the emotional or the physical or the other pain or struggle that you're facing, or you can go to God. Going to God is the better place to go, and that's what the psalmist is saying here. I will offer sacrifices. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Verse 7, he says, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. God, you have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me. God of my salvation, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. I remember years ago, one of the children that we sponsor through World Help wrote us a note, and on the bottom of the note was that verse. Even though my father and my mother abandon me, God, you will care for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. The psalmist is experiencing even slander against himself in his heart instead of burning with anger or burning with vengeance is to say, God, would you show me how I can walk in your way? God, will you be my light? and my salvation. The word here for seek my face in verse 8 means to consult God. Um, just a couple of verses earlier in Psalm 24, um, it, it says in verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, you know, consult him, who seek the face of the God of, the God of Jacob. And the psalmist in that psalm is essentially saying when we seek God, we receive blessing from God. Now, blessing is not just everything we want. Blessing is the good that God wants to give us. All right? Blessing sometimes we think is, oh man, that was a blessing. Sometimes difficult things come to us as a blessing from God. 
Like for Jonah, we studied Jonah a couple weeks ago. Jonah had a great blessing from God. It was called a fish because Jonah was disobedient and God sent a fish. And that was how that went. There was a blessing from God. Why? Because God wanted to be in closer relationship with Jonah. He didn't want just Jonah's obedience. He wanted Jonah's heart. He wanted Jonah's relationship with him. Because more important than obedience, and obedience is very important, more important obedience is a right relationship. The psalmist says, seek my face. Face here is an image that describes God's presence. The point is this. We face moments in our life where there is darkness around us, and we don't always know where to turn. To seek God's face means that we hit pause on the other noise in our life. We open his word, we declare his word, we sing to God because we want to grow in our relationship with God and to know his heart. Sometimes this means we have to still ourselves before God. We have to put our phone away, we have to put our computer away, we have to find somewhere quiet. Sometimes it means you're given like 30 seconds. If you're a mom with kids at home, you, you might just be given a couple seconds and maybe even that is kind of touch and go some days. Um, but even in those moments, it's, all right, God, how can I respond to this situation in this moment in a way that would honor you, in a way that we could walk together here? How can we then feed ourselves truth with the help, or tr- feed ourselves with truth that helps us to engage with our Father? Jesus gives us this great insight as he's teaching his disciples to pray. He says in Luke 11, he says that the Father loves to give good gifts to those who ask. He he loves to give gifts to his children. And a little secret about walking with God is this. God loves it when we turn to him. God absolutely loves it when we turn to him. When we're faced with the situation like the psalmist, God wants us to turn. He wants us to turn to him. He wants us to trust. He wants us to be in relationship. We, we can't always control the outcomes. And followers of Jesus for many, many years have had really challenging outcomes to their life. Think, think back to some of the disciples who gave even their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of knowing God. One of, I think it was the apostle Peter, when he was crucified at the end of his life, he actually said, would you please crucify me upside down because I am not worthy of being um, put to death in the same way that my Lord was. Believers around the world face a whole bunch of different circumstances, trials. They're not always easy, but in the middle of them, God walks with his people. And God loves it when we turn to him because he delights to meet our needs. And when Jesus says that phrase, God, give, God loves to give good gifts to those who ask him, he's talking primarily about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who leads and who guides God's people into truth, who brings wisdom and direction and power for living. I think one of the principles is this. If you find yourself today in need of wisdom, go to God first. Go to God first. And if you don't hear something right away, don't leave and try to make it your own. Stay there and wait. Stay there and wait. 
The psalmist picks up on this. He says in the last two verses, he says, I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Now, the word wait here, you could translate it this way. Hope expectantly. Hope expectantly that what God has promised, God will bring about. Hope expectantly that even though you don't know what the path is right this second, God will reveal it to you in his good time. Time for us is something we feel very strongly. Time for God is something very different because he's the author of time. He speaks and he creates time. So, so a thousand years are like an eternity to us, but a thousand years to God is just a second. Our perspective changes when we begin to consider life from God's point of view. The psalmist here, when he says, wait for the Lord, hope expectantly for the Lord, this is an imperative. He's talking to himself, and he's talking to all the hearers around him. It's, it's a second-person imperative. And he's saying, hope, wait expectantly for God. And in good Hebrew form, be strong and courageous, hope Wait expectantly for God. He repeats it twice because I think oftentimes we need to hear it more than once. The psalmist trusts in the Lord. He hopes expectantly in the Lord. We don't like to wait oftentimes. At least I don't like to wait. We often want answers now. And a minute ago, I said we can go to God for wisdom But there's the second part to this principle. As we go to God, as we seek his face, as we we engage in relationship, as we seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, as we declare that the Lord is my light and my salvation, wait for the Lord. Wait for him to respond and give clarity. Now, Now, how do we wait? Sometimes we wait impatiently. Um, when faced with difficult situations where we need God to give light to our path, sometimes the answer is absolutely clear, right? There's some things that are in God's word that speak directly to our situation. If we're faced with, do I tell this lie to my wife? The answer is, no, be honest in all I do, because God's word says so. If if we're faced with, do I dishonor the name of God in how I conduct business to get ahead? The answer is no, because God's word has said so. But there are a host of things in our lives where we go, God, I know this principle, but what is the right step to apply this principle in my life today? And oftentimes, those are the moments where we're going to have to wait. What college am I going to go to? What major am I going to pursue? God, should I take this job or should I take that job? There are moments like that where you're going to have to say, God, I'm going to be still. I'm going to wait. I don't have to know. I want to know, but I don't have to know all of your plan for me. But I'm going to wait until through the working of your spirit, you bring clarity to my path, or you bring a light into my path. In these moments, 
Seek to walk with God and trust that he will make his way and his purposes known in due time. It's appropriate to seek the wisdom of godly people, not just for advice, but for people to help you discern the heart of God. A lot of people can give advice and in wise advice. One of the things we want in our lives is to have God's will be made clear to us. Go to godly people. Go to people who will pray and they will seek God on your behalf so that you can discern the heart of God. Because at the center of this is relationship. For God to be our light and God to be our salvation is not for us to go so far ahead that we leave God in the dirt or in the dust. It's to walk with God and to experience what it means to trust him today. Now, it's tough because sometimes we, we don't fully understand something because we don't fully see the picture. I, I remember years ago, um, I, I went to a baseball game. Here's two baseball stories for, for your summer. Uh, I went to a baseball game with my son, and my, my mom had contacted me, and she said, hey, I got some tickets through work. Do you guys want them? It's for the, the Cardinals and the Reds. And I said, absolutely. We'd love to come. So we drive down to Ohio where my parents live. We, we stayed with them, and Ephraim and I went down for the game. And I, I'd been to Synergy Field and Riverfront Stadium. Those are the former, the former stadiums. I'd been to Great American Ballpark, which is the new stadium. I'd been there once or twice, but I didn't really know where I was going. So I got the address. I was like, okay, I park here, put in my phone. We got down there. We, we pull in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to park over here, I guess, and pay the money and all that kind of stuff. Actually, I went through and I didn't pay the money because I, I had this voucher that I didn't realize. I had taken money to, to park, but I had this voucher. I was like, oh, great. I actually don't have to pay. Here you go. So we go to the elevator and we go up the elevator. We, we get ready to go up the elevator and there's a gentleman in there who's making sure everything's working right. He's taking people up and down. I'm like, okay, I've not usually been to an elevator where there's someone there who's helping you up and down the thing, but okay, we, we had our food with us because if you're going to go to a game, you might as well have good food to enjoy. And so I had a backpack full of a whole bunch of treats and he goes, what do you have? And I said, oh, I've got some food because it's totally all right to take it in. He goes, you probably won't need that up there. And I was like, Okay, so out of a little bit of like, I guess I'll go put some back. I went, I took some back, and I kept some stuff in my, in my bag. Because I'm like, who knows what he's talking about? Because I just had the tickets. I'm just going to the game. That's all I know. We come up to whatever floor it was on, four or five. We exit the elevator. I still have food in my backpack, thinking I need it. And this elevator door opens, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a whole station of pizza there's a whole station of nachos. There's a whole station of hot dogs and hamburgers. There's a whole station of salad, whoever eats salad at a baseball game. Uh, there's a, a whole bucket full of peanuts if you want that, and popcorn if you want that, and it's all included. I'm like, what ticket is this? And apparently it was like a corporate ticket, and we're in like a big box area. Amazing. So, so we go, we're like, I guess we don't need our food, but we go and we get some food. We sit down, we enjoy the game. It was like 100 degrees outside, and if you wanted food, you went in where it was air-conditioned. Even better. My point is this. We had an amazing experience, and we had no idea what was coming until we were there. But the point of it was not, what am I going to eat? What am I going to do? How am I going to care for myself? The point of it was this. I was there for an experience with my son to watch a game, to be in relationship and to say, hey, did you see that hit? Hey, that wasn't a home run, you know, because 
when you're up high, it goes up high, and you're like, it's a home run. No, it's not. Um, what God wants to invite each one of us into is relationship. There are going to be things, my friends, that we experience in our lives this week. Challenges, disagreements, um, hard times, questions of God, what do I do here? The most important thing God wants from us is to seek him. Not just to know about him, but to seek him in relationship, intentionally, personally. I want to give you just a moment here before we pray. And would you just search your heart and would you take whatever burdens, cares, worries that you have before your life today and would you just lift those up to God? Could we set our hearts again on seeking him first in all things? Father, from the quietness of where we are seated today, we lift these worries and these cares, these questions to you because you are light and you are our salvation. God, we don't want just to know about you this week. We want to walk in a relationship with you. Father, would you help us to have a stillness to our life, even amidst all the other things going on? God, would you give us the opportunities and would you help us take advantage of those opportunities to put the noise away and to hear you speak, to hear you speak in your word, to hear your spirit speak to our hearts and to our minds. God, would you, would you have people, God followers, speak into our lives this week? There are so many distractions, God. So many. Would you be our light in our salvation. We bless you and we thank you for all these things. We thank you, God, for delighting in us. We thank you for walking with us. We thank you, God, that in a world where there are really good questions that have really difficult answers, you allow us to ask and you allow us to wade through and to ponder who you are, and how we can best honor you in our midst. Go before us, God, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.